Good morning. It's such an honor to be able to be back at a place that my wife and I, who's with me, have come to absolutely love. That we were told that if we didn't get here early, we wouldn't have a seat. I believe it. That's why we got here early. It's so good to just look out and experience what we've already experienced, the sense of the Lord's presence. My name is David Butler, and uh, Carlos invited me to come back again and be a part of what God is doing here. So I'm going to invite you to go ahead and be seated. And uh, as I just kind of move into our message, I can't do that without just pausing and saying, almost eight years ago, for the first time I came on this campus, met Carlos, and out of that, a great friendship with uh, not only him, but his wife, Carla. And more than that, to get to know all of you through him. And so many of your college students have come to Boston, where I served as the Sin City Missionary for seven years until last November. I've shifted into what they would call a part-time role now. Uh, I'm an executive coach that worked with Sin City Missionaries all across North America, and I enjoy that. But I loved our time in Boston, and you were a big part of that. I want to say thank you for the way in which you've invested there since college students, Jensen, and they've become a part of our life as well. Uh, I would just simply say we love being here. Uh, we've learned to pick up the uh, kind of term of affection. Uh, whenever anybody talks about First Baptist or First Watkinsville, they don't say it that way. They say Waddy. So that's how I've come to refer to you. But I just want to say thank you. And again, it is such an honor to be here with you this morning. I want to invite you to go ahead. If you want to follow along with where we're going to be headed, the, the message and the story and the narrative we're going to be diving into this morning, not in deep detail as far as the before, but the place we're going to go, we actually are going to go very deep into it. And if you'd like to go ahead, it's very easily found. Um, If you're using a Bible, it's at the very front, the book of Genesis. If you've got your device, just scroll down, find it, and and just uh, follow along with us. Genesis chapter 22 is where we're going to be headed in just a moment. I want to pray, and then we're going to See what God has in mind, not only for you, but for me as well. I know that we didn't come here today to just be here. We came here to experience God's transforming work in each of our lives. And I look forward to that happening in my life. I trust it will happen into your life. Let's pray. Father, uh, these are not just moments and the passing of time, checking of a box. To say we were there, we attended church, uh, we did what we're quote-unquote, as Christ followers supposed to do, we showed up. Father, there's much more than that, and we, we know that. This room is full of people leaning in, not with expectation, but with expectancy, and leaning in to anticipate what you might choose to do today, and many times you, you do what will surprise us. Sometimes you would take us to places we would have never gone on our own because we were leaning in with anticipation, and I would just ask this morning, we would lean in with a longing to hear, a longing to experience, a longing to be transformed by the power of your presence at work in us. We love you. We adore you. We thank you for your loyal, faithful love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning in the largest Jewish temple in Boston, 
Mosaic Church is meeting. They meet at 9.15 and 11. They're an 11-year-old church plant. There'll be anywhere between four to 500 people there to listen to Jan Vizikov and the worship team lead them. If you were to enter into that large Jewish temple, you would look up on in the wood panels, you would see wonderful verses from the Old Testament, including, I know that my Redeemer liveth. And he will speak this morning, and students from all around Boston and the colleges will hear and listen. But that won't be the only services today. This evening at 7.30, Obet Shalom, the congregation of the Jewish synagogue, will meet to begin the celebration of two high holy days in Jewish tradition. This evening at 7.30, they'll begin the celebration of Rosh Hashanah. And as they do, they will commemorate that celebration with the reading of Genesis chapter 22. It will be a part of the next 10 days of what they call celebration of creation, also a time of repentance, God's mercy, and the understanding of sacrifice. It is a powerful story that we're going to enter into this morning on Rosh Hashanah. And we're going to enter into it from a perspective of how God might speak to us through this story. Some of you said, I've heard this story. Let's hurry up and get to the end. Because I just want to tell you, this is going to be a story that is very unsettling. If this story does not make you uncomfortable, then you haven't heard the story. So we're not going to speed up and get to the end. We're going to slow down. We're going to listen to it, perhaps for the first time, not thinking, I know how this turns out, but we're going to allow us to experience it just as Abraham experienced. Now, because you see in Genesis chapter 22, we're coming to a place in the life of Abraham, a man's story who literally has become the father of three of the world's largest religions, the cross, the crescent, and of course, the star. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam all claim Father Abraham. But as we know from our perspective as Christ followers, when we read this story, we realize that we're not just coming to this particular place in Scripture without going before 10 chapters earlier in Genesis chapter 12. And we, again, we can't go into a deep dive that leads us to here, but we need to understand that he was a man that his whole life was turned upside down by a divine interruption, a disruption that said, I want you. And this is the operative word for not only Abraham, but for all of our lives. When he said to him, I want you to leave and go. I want you to leave and go. I want you to leave everything that represents your identity, your security, and your future. And I'm not telling you where to go, but I will show you. I want you to leave and go. Simple principle. I'll say it up front. We'll go back to it again and again. You cannot follow Jesus without first being willing to leave and go where he shows you. You can't follow Jesus without first being willing to to leave and follow to where he will lead you and will show you. So Abraham left and took a 600-mile journey, came to Haran, and then once again God came to him and said, not only do I want you to leave what you've left behind, now I want you to leave your family, I want you to leave your father, and I want you to go to the place that I will show you. And he travels 400 miles more into what we would today call the Holy Land, the Promised Land, Israel. And there began that story, and over the chapters that would follow between those chapter and chapter Genesis 12 all the way up to where we are today, you will see this, this man's life like a piece of twine uh, uh, unwind, and, and you will see that there are moments when he exercises bold faith. You will see other moments he decides to give in to fear and cowardice, and you will see moments 
when even he laughed at the promises of God, when God said to he and his aging wife, along with his own aging body, said, out of you I'm going to bring a new generation that's going to be as much as the sand of the sea. I'm going to give you a child. And sure enough, God did give him a child. But along the way, there are all kinds of ups and downs. But finally, when we get to Genesis chapter 22, where we're going to spend our time this morning, it would seem like Abraham has a good place. Have you ever had one of those seasons, you've gone through a lot of ups and downs, you've had, had some times when it just seemed like you weren't going to ever get to where you know God was leading you, 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 you had moments when you trusted him and then you had moments when you, you, you doubted him, you failed him, and you wondered if you've ever, and then you finally got to a place and said, oh, this is such a sweet place to be. That's where Abraham was, he and Sarah they're now in their own age. They're enjoying their son of promise that God had given them. There's peace in the family. It's a good time, a great season. And that's where we pick up the scripture that we're going to look at this morning because it begins in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 1. Sometime later, that's after all of those journeys. And most recently, he's had to go through a difficult season where he had to banish his son that was the son of the handmaiden Hagar, the slave girl that they had picked up in Egypt when they went down when they shouldn't, when they didn't trust God. But now, after all of that, it says God tested Abraham. Anytime you start hearing the word test, it just brings all kinds of thoughts to your mind. The word test here means not just a normal kind of get through the day test. How are you going to do? How are you going to manage? How are you going to figure out all of this? It's a test that means by its very connotation something that was difficult, something that was demanding, something that was of an extreme form. So it, God comes to Abraham's life and Sarah's life and, and this is after at least I count five other tests where God has taken an imperfect faith and he's perfecting it. And now here's this test. And it's not as a punishment and, but this is important for us to understand. It's so that he can measure the relationship between himself, Abraham, and God. He's going to measure that relationship. Years ago, there was a term, I don't think it's used any com more commonly, it was called a DTR. Somebody would be in a relationship with somebody and ultimately would come to him and say, this is a define the relationship moment. Where are we? Is this going forward? Because if it's not, I need to know where this is headed. This test comes to Abraham in this moment. It's a defining moment. It's not there to crush him, but it's there to measure the relationship that Abraham had with God after almost 60 years of journeying with God. Here's a truth that you and I need to understand because sometimes we, we're not for sure when things start happening in our lives that seem like a, a pressure moment or a, a, a moment in which we're just not for sure about our relationship to God. Here's a truth that you and I need to understand. God always measures the trust of those he loves. He always measures that. Not so much that somehow or another he can put you in a situation that will overwhelm you but he puts you in a situation or allows circumstances or he moves in at what might seem like not this, not now moment when God says, okay, I just need to see where your heart really is. I just need to see 
where your relationship is with me. We need to take a moment and we're going to walk through this together. That's what was happening. Not designed to cause you to fail, but designed to help you to discover where you really are in your relationship with God. Let's continue the story. He said to him, called out his name, Abraham. Notice Abraham's response. Here I am. Here I am, he replied. And then God said, here's the part that if you don't hear this, you want to rush past it, you'll miss everything that follows. Take your son, your only son, whom you love. And by the way, this is the first time love is mentioned in the Bible. Whom you love. You do love him, don't you, Abraham? He's between 14 and 16 years of age at this time. And go, there it is, leave where you are in Beersheba, this place, this time, this season, where thing, life seems so good. I want you to go to Mount Moriah. A place, by its very name, means a place where you will see, a place of revelation. And I want you to sacrifice him as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Did you hear that? There's no way you can sanitize that. No way that you can make that more palpable or easier to understand. It's unsettling. It's infuriating. It's startling. It gives well-known critics of Christianity like Christopher Hitchens, Hitchens and Richard Dawkins opportunity to label this story as an example of what they call divine child abuse. Inescapable tension and horror. How can God use his authority to violate his own basic moral standards? It depicts a monster God. You recoil at it. It's not an easy passage to hear. That's why some of us, even those of you who know the story, says, hurry up. Let's, let's get to the end of this. But we can't get to it till we hear this. This is riveting revelation of God asking Abraham, look at it again, your son, your only son. Yes, there was Ishmael. And as I referred to him earlier, he was the son of the handmaiden Hagar. And you remember Abraham decided that he would fulfill God's promise through her after he listened to his wife Sarah. And all of that became such a difficult moment. And we know the implications of that even to this day. But this was the only son, the only son of promise. This represented his future. All the promises of God were wrapped up in this only son. Son, whom you love. Isaac, the very laughter of his life, the emotional center of his life. You go and you leave and I'll show you what to do. Now I want to make sure that as we read this, this is not some uh, unfeeling God offering this demand of Abraham 
the language itself, the tense of the Hebrew language is one of a tender plea, more than a hard command. God appreciates the costliness of what he's asking Abraham, he's not a harsh, demanding God that doesn't have any feeling or understanding of what you're going through. When he asks of you something to do that seems so demanding, so over the top, even to the point of saying, God, how could you even in this season of my life begin to ask me to do what you're asking me to do? So I, uh, I want to pause here for a second, and I want you to make it personal as we move through this story. Because here's why. God's going to ask you to do the same thing. God's going to ask you to meet him and go up Mount Moriah so you can see what he has in mind. Question would ask you, would you really trust God when the very thing God asked him to do doesn't make any sense? Would you do it? Would you take whatever that you're holding on to because you love and cherish it in such a good way, not a bad way? Something that you hold on to, you cherish, you cling to with a fierce grip to say, I so appreciate what God has given me. What a gift! What a joy! You hold on to it. It's a dream, perhaps. You never thought it would happen, but it did. You're experiencing God's favor in your life. Your children seem to be moving in the right direction as parents. Your financial position, you can't believe God's blessings in your life. Your health. And you're holding on to it. And God said, can you let go of what you love the most Because you love me more and you believe I'm enough. You're holding on to it. How did Abraham get up that mountain? How did he do it? That's what we want to look at. How he got up that mountain. And it's how you'll get up the same mountain as well. So let's look. Based upon what we heard again. What was Abraham's response? Here I am. Now the Hebrew idiom of this simply means that what Abraham was saying, before God told him anything, because of their relationship, here's what he was doing. Here I am simply means yes. God, before I even know what you're asking, it's always yes. It's always yes. So I don't need to know the details because God is always yes. Up front, it's always yes. How do you get up that mountain? When God asks you to do what seems to be so unsettling, to to ask you to take that which is your very life, the sinner, everything that seems to be so very precious to you, and he says, "I, I, I want that. You begin, and here's the first kind of takeaway for this morning. He maintained a yes predisposition toward God. He maintained a yes predisposition towards God. It was always yes. God, I'm not some curious, I've got to figure out, you've got to tell me the details. 
but it was always in a relationship with God. I don't care what you ask when you ask it. The answer is always yes. The answer is always yes. The answer is always yes. That's what Abraham meant when he said, here I am. The answer is yes. He had no idea. Those of us men who like to think we understand our, our spouses, our wives, we can tell in the inflection of her voice when she asks something without asking it. You know what I'm talking about? She calls your name and you know that she's going to ask you something. How many of us as husbands, our predisposition is always, yes, it doesn't matter what you're going to ask me. At any moment, any time, the answer is always yes. I'm sure there are so many husbands in this room that are just like that. But his attitude, disposition, do you see it? Here I am. He doesn't know. It's yes. It's yes. It's always yes. But I want you to see something else because this is where that yes comes from. He developed the habit of listening to the voice of God. He developed that habit. You will never be in a predisposition to say yes unless you're constantly looking for, listening to, letting what God is saying to you shape your life in the present moment. That voice had shaped his life. He had heard it before. He had a predisposition toward yes, but he had this habit of what was God saying to him. Anytime you walk into this room on a sacred hour on a Sunday morning and you sit it, or even early in the morning or whether, whenever your time is to open up the scripture to see what God is saying to you, do you study it? Do you read it? Or do you say, God, I want to hear your voice? When there are people that are speaking into your life, are you saying, God, help me to hear what you're saying through them? I want to hear your voice. I want to hear your voice. Because it's your voice that drowns out every other voice. It's your voice that takes precedent over every other voice. I want to hear your voice. Earlier this week, in a moment where just a lot of tension was building up, and I'm saying, God, I've got so much to hear from you today. I need to hear your distinct voice that I've heard before. And I knew where I was going to be going in my particular reading at that time of Scripture. And I thought, I don't think there's anything in there for me. Can I find another place? And I said, no, I'm going to trust him. He's going to speak this morning. And as I began to read through this passage I was familiar with, there was a part of it. There was a verse of it I'd never seen before. And I heard God's voice. And I said, okay. Develop the habit, the longing, the desire not to study his word. Not to know the contents of his word, but to hear his voice. Like Samuel did. Like Mary did. Even like Jonah did. Let's continue the story. Genesis 22, verse 3 and 4. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. But, but God had told him about, and as he was moving in that direction, it says on the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. Very little detail about what's going on in Abraham's mind and heart, but he got up and he set out. 
He doesn't know what to do. He just knows that God has told him to go. He can't see or predict what's ahead. He just knows God has told him to go, and he sets out. Did you notice what it said? Early the next morning. Early the next morning. I don't know about you, but here's what my disposition might have been in that moment. I would have brought other people. I, can't, I want to tell you what God's told me to do. Do you think it makes sense? I would have debated. I would have probably tried to push the decision out as far as I could. But you don't see Abraham doing that. There's no hesitancy. Now, there have been times when Abraham had pushed back before. Genesis chapter 18 was God said, I'm going to judge the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm going to destroy it. You see over and over again Abraham pleading with God and pushing back against what God said he was going to do. But you don't hear any of that here. There's no pushback. Nothing. Except silence. And obedience. Here's a third way you get up that mountain. You respond silently and obediently without delay. There are times you don't need to call in three other people to ask what their opinion is. Because you know you'll usually find someone who will give you enough reason to say no. One of the more discouraging, challenging things we find sometimes when we ask college students to think about living on mission in a city like Boston, they'll be eager to say yes, they'll be ready, they're listening, they believe God's called them, and then they'll Begin to listen to other counsel. You really don't want to do that. Maybe later on, but right now you need to be thinking about how you can leverage your education, get started in life. Before you know it, there's delay and there's moving away from. There's without delay, with silence. Recently, I sat in a worship service with our son in Louisville, Kentucky, and the pastor began to share a quote (laughs) He he misspoke. I don't know what was on his mind. He said, I've got a wonderful uh, message from Elizabeth Taylor that I want to share with you this morning. He meant to say Elizabeth Elliot. (laughs) We were all leaning in to see what Elizabeth Taylor would say. (laughs) But I was captured by this from Elizabeth Elliot. Look that up on the screen. Can we give up all for the love of God? When the surrender of ourselves... Seems too much to ask. It is first because our thoughts about God himself are paltry. We've not really seen him. We've hardly tested him at all and learned how good he is. In our blindness, we approach him with suspicious reserve. We ask how much of our fun he intends to spoil, how much he will demand from us, how high is the price we must pay before he is placated. If we had the least notion of his loving kindness and tender mercy, his fatherly care for his poor children, his generosity, his beautiful plans for us, if we knew how patiently he waits for our turning to him, how gently he means to lead us to green pastures and still waters, how carefully he is preparing a place for us, how ceaselessly he is ordering and ordaining and engineering his master plan for our good. If we had any inkling of all this, could we be reluctant to let go of our smashed dandelions or whatever we clutch so fiercely in our sweaty little hands? If with courage and joy we pour ourselves out for him and for others for his sake, it is not possible to lose in any final sense anything worth keeping. 
we will lose ourselves and our selfishness. We will gain everything worth having. Genesis 22, let's continue. Abraham said to his servants, Stay here and with the donkey, why and the boy go over. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering for my son. And the two of them went on together. I've got to ask for just a moment. When, when he begins to leave the two servants behind, is he just faking it? Is he trying to hide what's about to happen so Isaac wouldn't catch on? Is, he, is there just a possibility in the last minute he'll pull out of this? Is that what's happening here? Very tender, emotional scene. His son, 14, 15 years old, much stronger than his aging father, carrying all the dangerous stuff, the heavy lifting, just the two of them, carrying on this conversation. It's amazing to me that Isaac doesn't push back at him, and you see very clearly that his father's done a great job of teaching his son how to worship God. Abraham had to be feeling unbearable loneliness the farther they went. Times when what God has asked us to do is so confusing, but we just keep moving towards it. Why? Here's the fourth thing to share with you. Because Abraham focused his attention on God's purpose, promise, and power. This was no leap of blind faith. His response was rooted in a proven faith. What he had seen, he had seen God take the aging body of his wife, who was past childbearing, take his own aging body, and what would he do? He would, through them, as though their bodies were dead, miraculously give them the son that he was about to sacrifice. Abraham had good reason to believe because of God's purpose, promise, and power that he had given him earlier. And he focused on that. Not the impossibility or the unsettling nature of it. Hebrews 11, verse 17 through 19 says this. Insight. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned. That means there was proven faith that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back to life from death. He focused on the purpose and the promise and the power of God that he had heard over and over and over again. This week, I listened to an excerpt of Tim Keller's interview with Russell Moore, the question that Russell Moore posed to him, what would you say to a young Christian who's nervous about the future? This is Tim Keller, 74 years old, battling stage four pancreatic cancer. He said, my wife and I, over time, Kathy and I, we weep, we cry, and then we immediately go to the power of the resurrection. 
It's the purpose and the promise and the power, and you focus on it. Genesis 22, 9 through 18, and some of you are saying, we're here. We're finally to the place I was hoping we'd get to. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac so there would be no struggle, and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. I'm sure the emotional exchange had to be unbelievable. Then he reached out his hand, and he took the knife to slay him. It's ready for a downward plunge, but there's no struggle. Verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. I'm still saying yes. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him, because now, now, now I know. And the word know there in the most intimate detailed, explicit manner without any doubt or question. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. No, you're not a God. I'm not a God who desires human sacrifice, not like all the other gods. Now I know without question where you are in your relationship to me. Abraham looked up, verse 13 and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by the horns. He went over and he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham says, I know something about God too. I know something brand new about you in a new way. The Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Jehovah Yireh. God will provide. Here's what Abraham was saying. God, you now know about my love for you, that it's without measure, you are enough. And here's what I know about you. You're the God I can trust. To sum all this up, here's a statement I hope that you'll not soon forget. The ultimate expression of genuine trust is tenacious obedience fueled by an unwavering confidence in God's provision. Tenacious obedience, unwavering confidence. There will be a lot of moments in your Christian journey, in your Christian life, where he's going to say, I want you to leave. There's one big L when you cross the line of faith and say yes to Jesus, but there are a lot of other little L's throughout your experience. There are going to be moments when God's going to say, I want you to leave and go. I want you to leave and follow. I want you to step into this. And it's not necessarily saying go to some place on the planet for missions. It may be that. But it's right where you live right now. I want you to follow me in such a way. And here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to leave and I will show you. I'm asking you, do you believe you can trust me? Many times we talk about the absence of commitment. It's not a question of commitment. It's a question of confidence, unwavering confidence. And with that unwavering confidence, God, the answer is yes. It's always yes. I know you're in a series right now. It's called It's Good to Know. Let me just say it this way. It's good to know. God can be trusted on the other side of your full yes to him. He can be trusted. No matter what the call may be. The final verses which you'll not read, God comes back and just reaffirms to him and says, 
I'm going to do everything I said to do. And you know what? That has everything to do with you and me. Because of that, that son became 12 sons and became a nation. And out of the nation became, if you read Matthew chapter 1, came our Savior, another father, another son, went up another hill. The son carried the wood. On that day, there was not any ram caught in the thicket because the son became the sacrifice. And that has everything to do with you and me. God can be trusted. Potential church planters will come to our city in Boston. We lived there for seven years in Jamaica Plain neighborhood in the city. And we would have them in our, our, our little apartment and we would have conversations. And they would be wrestling with whether or not they should come to Boston and transplant their lives. And they'd, I'd say, okay, how can we best pray for you? And they'd always, almost to the person, they would say, please pray for clarity. We need clarity. And I would surprise them because this is something I'd learned from someone else. I said, I'm not going to pray for that. What are you going to pray for? I'm going to pray that you'll have greater capacity to trust God. You don't need clarity as much as you need a greater capacity to trust God. We moved from Boston, left a city we loved. Moved to Huntsville, Alabama, where we have a daughter and her, three kids, and family that we love dearly, and that's where we live now. Of course, when we moved there, we moved from a community of 80-plus churches, one we were a vital part of, not as much as we would have liked to, but we were in some church plan every week, it seemed like. So we moved there, she goes to a church, but we knew we could go to her church, it was an established church, it's a large church, it could be a good church, but we said, no, we need to be a part of a church plant, that's who we are. So we go to her church with her kids, and then we slip over to a church plant that we have become a part of. This last Monday night, we were invited to a, what they call tribes, a community group. They said it's a mixed group. Great. My wife and I, this year soon, we'll celebrate 50 years of marriage, and that can tell you that we're more than a few years older than the people we were with because they were all 20-somethings. We got there a little bit late, rushing over from a soccer game from a grandchild, which you always do, and we found two seats. The room was packed, 20 of them. They began to identify who they were, start talking about favorite snacks at gasoline stations. And they asked us, and I'm hoping we wouldn't say anything crazy. But as we're going through it, it's a message-based group. And the Sunday before, last Sunday I sat in the service, and the pastor spoke from James 2, and in that passage there was a reference to Abraham sacrificing Isaac. And I so much wanted to say something, but I didn't. I listened to the questions. They were all good. And I thought about these 20-somethings. I thought about the day when I was a 20-something Barren River State Park, just outside of Bowling Green, where I was wrestling with what God was calling me to do. And I read this story, and that changed everything about my life. And I said to myself, these 20-somethings are going to face those moments. I pray that in those moments, it will be yes, always yes, before God even tells them what to do. And they will begin this journey, and there'll be ups and downs. There'll be days when they, they knock it out of the park. They kill it, they crush it, they live for God, and there'll be days when they just totally blow it. But I pray that they'll keep saying yes. 
and they won't hold on to anything so tightly as much as their absolute devotion and surrender, tenacious obedience and unwavering confidence in the Lord. I pray the same for you. Let's pray together. Father, uh, you are so perfect in your ways. They're higher than ours. We don't always understand, and they're painful. They're unsettling. I don't know what you're doing in the hearts of every person here. There's not a person here this morning. This message isn't for in some way, somehow. For the person who's never come to know Christ, may they hear the story as a father, you brought your son to the cross and he bore the weight and the sin of the world and it was a God who provided for our salvation. They can say yes to you today. But there are far many others this morning that are at that place again and you've come to them and you've said, take now your only. And I don't know what the fill in the blank is. Father, you do. They can't move forward. They may want to go to another mountain. They may want to hold back. They may want to delay. God, I pray today that whatever it is with silent obedience, without delay, they'll keep moving forward. And they'll watch you provide in such a powerful way. Thank you how beautiful this message is and how we hold on to it today. In Jesus' name, the one who said yes for us. Amen.